Welcome to the Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. It's episode 11. We're talking Cosmos, a space-time odyssey. That was a good, mysterious Cosmos <laughs> voice, Ollie. You're listening to the voice of H.A. Conrad. And I'm here with the <laughs> wonderful Ollie Matu. So we're t- we've got a great, um, great show today. We're going to be debating Neil deGrasse Tyson versus Carl Sagan, counting our, down our top five science documentaries. But before we get to that, we have a very special Nerd Hour guest, uh, Mr. Bill Wadman. Welcome. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. So, uh, Bill, I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, our listeners are aware that Bill was a special guest on our Valentine's Day episode, which is... Right now, the most popular episode of Super Fantastic Nerd Hour history ever. Is it really? It yeah. absolutely is. That's funny. So we thought that the listeners liked you, so we invited you back. Um, I would imagine it's because Bill has his own very popular <laughs> <laughs> following, and, and I think some of his listeners may have crossed over to, well, to listen to... There's nothing wrong with that. ...to so our show. You're also, in, in addition to being an awesome photographer, you're a big space nerd. I am a space nerd, yes. So I we, thought, we thought that would be a good, good, good fit for this episode. Um, just a little footnote, we did invite Nguyen back as well. She was also on that episode. However, Nguyen said, oh, hell no, if I can quote accurately, I believe she said, only one episode per year. <laughs> so, <laughs> maybe next year. I okay. think that means I win, Ollie. <laughs> win? What? what there's no... Wait, de- there's wait, no this, w- is like, this is like backtracking on the uh, Valentine's issue? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I absolutely win. Now, if Nguyen knew this was a contest, she'd probably be here because she's that's a little why, competitive. That's also why I'm saying it. <laughs> I, I know this about our, our wonderful Nguyen. So. <laughs> well, so... Um, yeah, where do we start with this? I think we start at the beginning. I think we start the, the, begin- the beginning of creation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we start with the Big one. Bang. So there was uh, there was a Big Bang. And I think we start with we can't talk about Cosmos a space time odyssey without getting into Cosmos a personal voyage. Correct. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Which was Carl Sagan's baby. Yes. Yes, and it's. I mean, I, I we wouldn't be talking about this at this table if this wasn't something that all of us thought was something well i don't know How, when did you did you first watch this when you were a child ollie or did you ever see it well it, it came out before i was born um it, which is why i'm asking when you saw this because so young i just put that in to rub it in there for you guys <laughs> yeah, to see I, where I call people. <laughs> I saw it to people so i mean it came out in 1980 13 part series uh on pbs i saw it probably probably when i was five or six or seven at some point i saw the reruns on pbs Watch that with my dad. Watch that with my brother. It was kind of a family thing. Um, so it was a big part of my childhood. The other thing with Cosmos is there was a book that came out. I was um, going to say the book. The book's almost as good or as good as the series. The, yeah. The book is one of those things that you could, at the time, have given a kid who was a nerd. And it would be the thing that for the next 10 years would be a touchstone of the stuff that they looked at at yeah. night while they were going to bed and stuff, you know? Yeah. I was talking to my uh, a friend of the show, Lowen Baumgarten, last night, and he said, you know, I never saw this series, but I had the book on my coffee table, and I read it cover to cover every day yeah. for like a year. It's definitely one of those books, too, that you can look at. You could just open up to any page read a page or whatever, just read some stuff and then put it down and then just open up to another random page and just read, you know. It's- well, and it had such great 
things within it. So it wasn't, yeah. you know, it was it was something that was pretty accessible, even if you couldn't comprehend everything within it. It had yeah. a lot of awesome ideas. My dad actually had this book, mm. and I don't, I don't, I remember seeing a little bit of the original series when it aired in 1980. But I was, I was also pretty young at that yeah. point. But I also remember the book and being able, you know, um, I, I think I actually. I think I actually stole it and hid it under my bed or something um, <laughs> because I didn't because I, I didn't want my siblings to to read it or something. My I, science book. We would do we my siblings and I would consistently do this. We would steal knowledge <laughs> from the bookshelves of our houses and like you know um, and eventually of this course knowledge is mine. And eventually they would fa- find the not so the not so secret hiding space under the bed and the books <laughs> yeah, would disappear. Yeah. There was a lot of books like Why this. Why do we always think as kids hiding under bed is such an amazing hiding spot i had so many things <laughs> down there and my parents always found it it was not really a secret did i had stuff under my bed i didn't, I didn't thought I of had, that much i had a lot of stuff yeah. under my bed you know, you know what else <laughs> is interesting was like... about that cosmos book too is is and this was something that if we can go a little bit into the different series the the look of the of the photographs and things that they used in the old book had that had the a lot of them were taken on film, so they had that yeah. grainy feeling. Yeah, they had yeah. a very alien feel. Yeah, to and, them. and I, there's something in some ways between. Like when I watch, I watched a little bit of the old one this morning just to sort of remind Fresh myself enough, of, the, yeah. of the feel. Yeah, well. and and there was this difference between the two things, almost as if in the last 35 years we've learned so much more. And in some ways, and I don't know if it's a presentation thing, and we can discuss that. That that it that there is less unknown now. Like it felt it felt more mysterious uh, in the original yeah. series. Well, yeah. I also think and and Neil deGrasse Tyson does this as well. But Carl Sagan was very clear, and he even says it in the intro to this series that we are going to distinguish fact. Yeah, from and Sagan says the exact same thing in his. Yeah, intro. they both they both say yeah. that, and I think at the time the strides that we have made in certain areas of science yeah. have been amazing. In fact, yeah. all I, what I have been thinking while watching the new series is how incredibly giddy Carl Sagan would be <laughs> at some of the more recent, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. the more recent discoveries. And you got it almost felt like the original had more of a, almost a science fiction feel about it, even when they were talking about actual science, because they didn't have the visuals or the words or the math to, you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah, yeah it, it, it so is well I, of a way. I, mean, I, I, I agree with some of what you're saying. I, I mean, and at the same time, I think the original also had pretty high tech special effects for its for time. the time. Yeah, for the time there were models. <laughs> yeah, there were some photographs, some illustrations. There was a spaceship of imagination. Right. It's the best they could do, but they didn't have <laughs> Maya and 3D Studio. No, maps. no, no. It right. was not to that degree. Right. But it was, and it was also PBS's budget, but it was one of the most uh, well-funded, big-budgeted science documentaries ever to, the, up to right. that point, and highest-rated show on PBS until uh, the Civil War, Ken Burns' Civil War in 1990. So it was a huge success, but it was... This vision of the cosmos and of our internal universe that we hadn't seen before. Yeah. Um, or, uh, and, and also, wait, wait, wait. And who also, hadn't seen it before? Well, Everybody, me, or, but. <laughs> oh, I, I feel like there's, I think, I feel like that's one of the big things about this show in both iterations is that for the nerdy people, 
I watch it, and and while I don't know every single fact of everything that they say, I'm like, oh yeah, I see where he's going with this. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's going to talk about this. But it's, the whole point of this, and the whole point of why they wanted it out there, was to make this accessible to the public. Yes, and no, not not just nerdy people, and, and to maybe inspire people that to become nerds. Well, I think I I think they may already be nerds, but maybe they don't have access to this this kind of information or did not at that point i mean yeah. right now if you think about what people have access to online generally compared to then like think about the amount of research that you can do online and granted some of it's questionable but yeah. you can go that. you can go and you can follow <clears throat> nasa now and you can watch and see their more recent discoveries you can see oh. yeah. things that you remember we watched the the mars the recent the what is it the phoenix what was the new one the Oh, uh, Curiosity? One. No, 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 no. That's one of the little ones. Anyway, th- we watched the landing, what, last year or whatever yeah. it was. Remember, like, live Practical in the middle of the yeah. night. Yeah. And, and it's, it was, that's and, crazy. And it's amazing that we can do that. And so at this point, in 1980, yep. the access to this kind of information yeah. was definitely not... Um, it was not there for the general oh, uh, public. And I think once we get it, we'll, it'll be an interesting discussion to continue into our top five science documentaries. And... When I was looking at these documentaries, one of the things that Bill was saying was coming to my mind is, who is this for? If you know a lot of information about this topic, it's kind of like it, it just uh, it just kind of goes over the surface level. Yeah, right? it's, a, it's, it's not a, a deep dive. It's a shallow dive. It's a shallow dive. Bit. However, all these documentaries, what they do really well is to tell a good story about mm-hmm. science. Yes. And yeah. that's what Cosmos did. It, it, it's, it's, what's interesting about that, though, is that I've, not that it's bait and switch, but I think that it, whenever you talk to any particular scientist in any of these, they interview these people, they're consolidating 40 years of research and study down into a minute and a half of wonder of why yeah. they, you know, yeah. and sometimes I feel like it's a little bit of a bait and switch thing for if somebody goes into science, they think it's all going to be talking about grand illusions and stuff when it's actually like doing statistical analysis of, mm-hmm. you know, well, and this is true. And, you know, like one of the advice I give to a lot of my students when they're debating whether or not to go into grad school is that I ask them, are you really, really passionate <laughs> about the subject matter? Because science is grueling. Mm-hmm. It's tough. Yep. You're going to, yeah, uh, once we get into Neil deGrasse Tyson in the crossover a little bit, sometimes you have failed research projects and there's huge setbacks. But it, you got to have that passion. Yeah. You got to have that wonder, well, you have the to, excitement about the subject. Because otherwise you're never going to get through the grueling no. piece of it. No, right. you're not. Because it's science a marathon. is grueling. It's a yep. marathon. It's, it's it is not. It's absolutely grueling. So I think. I'm okay with that bait and switch if it makes people passionate about the subject matter and makes them excited enough to move forward in science. That's an awesome thing. Yeah. Or even it it's okay if people watch this and they don't become scientists. But like you, Bill, if they watch this kind of stuff and became become huge science advocates and lovers no, absolutely. of science. It's it's about having society respect and love science and 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 I think respected is thing just to show how much it actually enriches society, right? Which is, I think, this is our link between the two cosmos. Right. We, we look at the original cosmos came out in 1980. It was updated with new epilogues in 1989. And then um, after Carl Sagan passed away in 1996, mm-hmm. I believe, there's always been an effort to try to bring back cosmos. And I think it's, unfortunately, that debate between science and um, people who reject science it's still here. 
It's, oh yeah, it's oh, never yeah. gone. It hasn't gone away, and I don't think it ever will go away. Why? But, Sadly, in my opinion, <laughs> just because you know people have their. I don't, you know, there's a lot of things in, in, in the world that I think that, you know, will take a generation or two before, you know, the, the people who believed X die out, nothing's going to change until like there's a generational change or whatever it is. But, you know, the numbers, if you look at pew polls and stuff, yeah, a lot of older people say, you know, are creationists or say Mm -hmm. it's that kind of thing. Um, but there's a lot of younger people who are still in my word being indoctrinated into something like that. And it's, and they're going to grow up and they're going to be the old people who believe the same thing and teach their kids the same thing. There's always this sort of this question mark of, you know, I don't know why people are so af- afraid of science. It seems like there's actual fear there. You know, I wonder it's Cosmos came out in 1980, which means they were probably working on it from 1978 or so. Right. Yeah. They started in the late yeah. 70s. Yeah. It takes a while to build those models. <laughs> how much of the, how much of the success of Cosmos was due to the success of Star, Star Wars? Right. Interesting. That's like, a great like society great was question. primed. That's a great question. And Star Trek. And start. And so yeah. you go back before that and yeah. Star Trek. Well, just because Star Wars was such a blockbuster. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 It was. Well, I mean, Star Wars changed a lot of things. It changed the film in- industry. It changed. Um, it brought Star Trek back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when did the first Star Trek movie come out? Uh, came out in 79, I believe. Okay. The motion picture. Yeah. V'ger. Yeah, so they they proved that sci- big science fiction could work in the the modern world. You know, well, there's there's been a uh, a mutualistic relationship between science fiction and science yeah. for a very long time, and I I think you're right. I think there, I mean, why else would you have a spaceship of imagination? Right. Like seriously, right. why well, would you? And it, it looks, looks, it looks like a set. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it does. It really. does. He looks. It uh, looks very much like he's got a little view screen, little captain's and, chair. Yeah, he's got a little captain's chair, yeah. and in the new one as well. And the new one looks very, um, very much like that metallic ship from Star Wars: Phantom Menace. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. the reflective. Well, you know, I mean, slash. Flight of the Navigator kind yeah. of stuff. Sure. <laughs> well, you know, going back to that denial of science stuff. Uh, I mean, look, look at the stuff that's been going on in the news since these Cosmos episodes have come out. Right. I mean, we were talking about it before the show where people, you know, creationists demanding equal time and, you know, people upset about, you know what I mean? All kinds of stuff like that, where it's there's always going to be parts of I mean, society's going to disagree. And maybe that's well, maybe. But I also think that one of the positive things about having these debates and and having these controversies out there while I don't necessarily agree with some of the ones that have been posited I think in order to find some sort of agreement you have to have a conversation and maybe that that's what spurs the conversation well, the, the argument know. is though that that one side is not having the same argument you know what i mean mm, yeah i, I mean well, and, and and this isn't like two scientific hypotheses that, being that said, argued when i was watching the cosmos the 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 episodes i was unaware that some of this had already been brought up but i was like oh i know that there's oh, they're going gonna to get be- it for that one yeah <laughs> some of the some of the, the tree statements. of life stuff and everything that he was talking right. about i was like oh I was man like, i can is- see people like seething yeah. so on the other side of the screen we're i mean this makes me think of the bill nye um right big bang versus creationism debate that happened yeah. a few weeks ago it makes me think of the, the creationist stuff that that bill is mentioning I mean, we're, we're going to get into the new cosmos in a moment, but my one of my big criticisms of, of both is that um, 
They talk a lot about science, and it's awesome. They tell a lot of great stories about science. I wish they told the, sci- the story of why we deny science. Because they, they get at it. There's They uh, hint at it. They hint at it, but they don't explain they don't the quite science. Even, yeah. I mean, there's lots, of, there's lots of, you know, primitive people believed this because they had no other explanation, you know. Yeah. But yeah. he never says, and some people still believe that today. Like, well, he, never, he never goes that far to taunt, you know. There's like, really, there's good reasons for this. I, I wrote an article, uh, this is, and where this was my big criticism, but there, there's a whole science of, of why we do this. Our our mind attacks information that conflicts with the stories we have about the world, just like our immune system attacks viruses. We we've sort of evolved in a way in which um, we have a hard time accepting ideas that conflict with our worldview. Right? Is that the the lizard brain type thing too? Where, yeah, that's where yeah. you're kind of reacting. It's a survival mechanism. Yeah, right? like so so something new that contradicts the things that you know or that you have in have basically incorporated into your yeah. life and your way of living. You don't want to. I don't know what you're talking about, Heather. You're wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly yeah. it. Um, there's a great article. I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes um, by Chris Mooney from uh, MotherJones.com. And he says, quote, our positive or negative feelings about people, things and ideas arise much more rapidly than our conscious thoughts. That shouldn't be surprising. Evolution required us to react very quickly to stimuli in our environment. We push threatening information away. We pull friendly information in. We apply fight or flight reflexes, not only to predators, but to data itself. Um, and there's such my, one of my favorite stories in psychology is Leon Flesinger's uh, study of the seekers. Do you guys know this? No, no, no. Oh, more. it's so it's so interesting. So this is way back in like 1954, where the psychologist uh, Leon Flesinger he infiltrated this cult that believed um, that their leader Marion Keach um, was getting messages from aliens and was told that on December 21st. Um, they were going to be the Earth always, was going to be destroyed. It's always December twenty first. Yeah, yeah, I know um, that Earth was going to be destroyed, and the Seekers and their followers they would be saved. And so a bunch of people left their work, left their jobs, left their families to join Marion and Leon Flesinger. Sort of got in, heard about this, infiltrated the cult, wanted to see what happens, and they believed on on midnight that they would all kind of be beamed up. Right, midnight comes, nothing happens, everyone's silent kind of waiting to see what's going to happen hours go by right the earth isn't destroyed they aren't beamed up now most people would probably say oh well that's when they realized that this was you know there were no messages from aliens or the earth was not in danger but instead of believing all of that what they end up believing is their prayers saved the planet (laughs) right (laughs) so it's kind of like when we invest so much into a way of thinking, a way of believing, and when there's information that conflicts with that, we rationalize. We try to make it mesh and make it make sense. And it kind of launched into his theory of cognitive dissonance and how we do all these mental gymnastics to to make our life consistent with what we believe. This is why we ha- so many people who have invested in other in beliefs that conflict with some ideas that come up with science reject them or find ways to manipulate them into making sense. This is why I think Big Bang works for a lot of people. It's pretty consistent with uh, a lot of stories of Something just started out of nothing. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's why um, evolution conflicts so much with so many religions. 
is the, the story of evolution and the story of creationism really conflict. These stories don't gel well. This is how you get around cognitive dissonance, by the way, is you find ways to make facts fit with your existing stories. I wish Cosmos, both old and new, told that story. A little bit. Yeah, no, absolutely. And How, how much, uh, out of 13 episodes, would you would you want an episode dedicated to that? Well, I think getting into the new one, um, the, uh, the episode... Maybe, maybe, maybe it will. Maybe it will. And we are recording this with uh, three episodes in. Episode four is going to air... Um, uh, relatively soon. It's, tomorrow. It's airing tomorrow after we record this. Um, I think the first episode that gets at Bruno and the story of, um, not Bruno, like, uh, what's his name? Bruno Mars. Bruno no. Mars, or um, who's the guy who plays Ollie G? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, it's not yeah. that Bruno, but the Bruno that's involved in, the, who developed this idea that maybe the Earth is in the center of the universe and all of that. It would have been nice to have that um, the explanation for why so many people were rejecting of new ideas yeah. in that story. Right. Well, and then there's also controversy around that particular story already within the cosmos. So whether it was his idea, whether or it was his idea, him. and how it was presented. It's, I know that it, there's been a lot of flack in the Catholic community about how it was presented. Yeah, um, it's not. A, you're so, never going to make everybody happy. So I'm wondering. Well, what I guess what I'm saying is that I I suspect the reason why, and maybe there will be an episode that addresses this, but I think that they are probably going to to steer to stay safe ground on this, just because even even some of the comments it's not worth the controversy. <laughs> controversy. <laughs> um, but getting back to just the original cosmos, I mean, I also think that we should talk a little bit about the context in which this show aired and it was in the 1980s and we were in the middle of the cold war yeah yeah and yeah, there was a lot of negativity uh, just in terms like it seemed like um there was a lot of negativity in in terms of how science was view was viewed and you know i think perhaps some of that was because of the arms race yeah you and know it's fascinating you, you watch the original stuff and it's a, a lot of um you know we're here, we're children in the universe, and mm. we have power, and we could use it to destroy ourselves, or we could use it to better ourselves. Like, there's yeah. like this there's this moral question involved right. and in was, the first one, which really isn't so far in the second one. If we destroy ourselves, that, and it, that, there's right. a that lot whole, of that. And there's yeah. a lot of that within the, the first... And there's um, a lot of that within uh, one of our... Uh, top five too so like there i mean there's the, like it was of that it was of that generation right yeah. where late 70s early 80s this was like a really hardcore time like 1980 1981 late like this was like right on the edge of serious stuff in the soviet union and oh, the US. absolutely so, so it's well and, and actually within um within my travels because i was trying to refresh sort of what my thoughts were or what I thought about or just tried to remember the feel of the original, um, the Carl Sagan cosmos. Um, I found um, when they did some of those edits um, and Andrean does a little intro and talks a little bit mm -hmm. about that. Yep. And it's, it's really interesting to watch that now, mm. her perception. And she basically says, look, that when this was made, we had so many of our world scientists focused on making weapons, and this was an mm. attempt at... Not that we still don't. 
Well, it's not that, but I think this was she was trying to give a context to the time that they had well, made it in, and it was interesting to hear that. You know, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad you guys are bringing up this point because it's also making me think of of the context in which not only do you have um, this this fear of what might happen to humanity, and dialectically you have this huge hope the promise the promise because we're coming off of apollo missions yep the space shuttle missions were being designed yep. there were being there was a lot of there was hope that we were going to get to mars there's yeah. hope that yeah. anything anything was possible with uh with the space program and we're not in that place now. No, you know? well, you know, I mean, in the seventies, there was there was a there was five years there from nineteen seventy five to nineteen eighty one, where nothing was going on. I mean, there was five years where no Americans were going into space. You know, so there was we were also in that thing, but we were also in the beginning of, you know, the Voyager probes had been launched. Yeah, you know, so the, we, we were in the we were gotten to the beginning of sort of the robotic exploration of the solar system and stuff, stuff that wasn't even thought of, you know, I mean, yeah. Hubble was in the planning stages. I mean, this yeah. was, you know, we were starting to use technology instead of humans to explore the universe too. So there's all kinds of questions there. It's like, are we yeah. ever really going to leave earth? Or are we just going to send von Neumann probes out there to, yeah. you know, go self-replicate and colonize everything and send information back? Or, yeah. you know, will we still be humans? I mean, there's all these kinds of questions that go on there. Um, but it's, yeah, it's really, there is a tone difference between mm -hmm. the two series. And it, I think that's something we should discuss in the crossover chamber, but, but absolutely. And it's so if we, we, it's interesting, the context it, it existed and then the efforts to bring cosmos back. Um, there have, there were so many efforts by Carl Sagan's wife, um, and dirt Drian Drian. I'm yeah. I was worried about how to pronounce that one. Um, and Neil deGrasse Tyson, but also Seth MacFarlane. Yeah. So this is where the story gets so yeah. interesting. My sister met all these guys cause they were, they did a, they did a, a talk down at the Smithsonian. My sister works at the Smithsonian and they had a, they had a luncheon talk where all of them got up there and gave like little speeches. Your sister has the coolest job. Yeah. And Bill Nye was there and all these people. And like, it's like, this is just such a strange, it's a, it's this like, uh, super team. It's like the Avengers oh of God. science yeah. to bring this together. So, but it's also you know a lot of people are like, what? Seth MacFarlane? That's the that's the Family Guy guy. Well, he's got and lots the, of money now. That's uh, well, this yeah, is exactly. that's exactly what he said. He does what is it? Wait, what did he say? So it was yeah yeah. Um, so basically, Neil deGrasse Tyson, um, along with Carl Sagan's widow, um, Andrian. Yep. They were at a. Uh, they've been trying to bring this back, and Neil deGrasse Tyson was at a Hollywood science and entertainment exchange where basically Hollywood producers get together with scientists to try to make science more um, accessible, more accessible, How can we made more this realistic. explosion more realistic. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, that's what Michael Bay would be interested in. Um, and Seth MacFarlane basically said, quote, I'm at a point in my career where I have some dispensable income. It's <laughs> a family guy. And I'd like to spend it on something worthwhile. And he wanted to create a new project, and Neil deGrasse Tyson was like, well, hold on. I've got an idea. <laughs> that's good. And that's how this cosmos came back. That's why it's on, it's on Fox. Yeah. And it's, so it's oh, using... Oh, I hadn't thought of that, but yeah. It's using the original script. It's using a lot of money from Seth MacFarlane. That's why we have the animated episodes. That's Seth MacFarlane's shop. And then uh, Brendan Braga, who is an executive producer from Star, Star Trek, Trek. Yeah. is on the show. Yeah. You have Alan um, 
Silvestri doing the music, yep. who did the music for Contact. Who also went to an, Berkeley. Who also mm-hmm. went to Berkeley. Uh, <laughs> a nice link back to the original. So you have this Super Friends team of scientists, of science fiction people, of Family Guy. Yeah. Coming together, together to make this now very different, yet very similar cosmos. Yeah, no, it, and, and you know, I wonder what they would have made had the original never been made. Yeah, does that make sense? Like, the, mm. the, you know, would they have made something that is uh, so? I mean, it's very okay. Look, the opening episode, he's out on the same cliff as the opening yeah. scene. Of, oh my of gosh, the original. But, I got really but, emotional. About but that you part. know what? This is the thing. You can't. It, there's always going to be people like anything that is so near and dear to people's hearts. There are cosmos super fans. And <laughs> yes, this is true. <laughs> this is, you have to have an homage, I think oh, um, yeah. to this. And if you don't have this and explain why this is so precious and maybe not everybody will understand this. I recognize the cliff. I was super yeah. happy when I was like, Oh really? Man, oh that's gosh. awesome. I was so emotional. Um, and you know, I, I think if he hadn't done that or there weren't these not tips of the hat and i think sometimes they go a little overboard with that i i think you in the know, first episode there were a lot of homages were, um, oh and him pulling out the date book yeah with yeah. like come on that's i i went all that oh by the way we should spoilery sorry i get yeah i guess spoilers really for cosmos <laughs> Jeez, Bill. anyway i well i think that if they hadn't done that, they would have come under a lot more fire. But I also think that this is one of those things where people, younger people who are just watching this now, who have never been exposed to Carl Sagan's yeah. works and his writings, which are incredible. No, absolutely. This is one of those things. And, and I'm not bothered by that. Oh, I, I'm not bothered. I think it was great. I, I Look, I think that they have to do it. You're right. They have to they have to talk about the past and show how it's like passing the torch to the new one, right? Yes. That's like a big thing. But I can imagine, you know, you were just saying that you got emotional like watching that. Could you imagine how emotional it was for Neil deGrasse Tyson to be standing on that cliff oh, like So there must have been there must be outtakes of him actually crying before oh, he did that or like after he can he did barely it. he you, can barely keep that together. You, you could you could see it in the video <laughs> yeah. that he was like and, that must have been really and, emotional. Like here we are, maybe it was the first thing they shot, you know, for whatever reason, you yeah. know. Well, and this is the thing. It's like obviously Carl Sagan was a hero to Neil deGrasse Tyson, and he was definitely one of those heroes that stood up to and held up to what Neil deGrasse Tyson thought he was going yeah. to be. Yeah. D- don't he meet your heroes. Not, He's actually one of the ones you'd want to meet. Well, He's an, absolutely. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and not only was he one of the heroes that you want to meet, he was a hero that was very encouraging to Neil deGrasse Tyson to do what he does today. Yeah. He's only there because of the host of the original right. show. Right. So that's that's one of those things and I think uh, I was I thought it was very touching and, and that, that first episode is so beautifully done and I think it reinduce, reintroduces the idea of the cosmic calendar to a new generation. Yeah. It um the the first segment um really makes you feel that sort of sense of insignificance and awesomeness in the face of the universe where it's zooming out yeah. your the, the, your cosmic address that first episode was really well done and for it to end on that emotional note just really hit, just hit all the all the notes and it's the episodes since i think have been a little bit more wibbly wobbly in terms of how linear the story is and i don't know if they're trying to jam too much into a uh, 40, 40 minutes of network TV yes, I, minus I, commercials. I it, haven't felt that. I mean, 
I think that they, I mean each of the other two have like a, a much more definitive arc, you know, or you know what I mean, like they're trying to tell a story per episode, and I don't know, I haven't felt that they've been trying to pack too much in, but I, but I've actually. I will tell you that, like, when we discussed this, whatever, last week or whatever it is, that we were going to do this, and I hadn't watched any of them yet. Now we've watched the three And you didn't want to. And I didn't want to, and I will tell you that I have been pleasantly surprised. Now, why didn't you want to watch those episodes? Um, the new Cosmos. I was concerned that it would actually be too watered down. Being on Fox, being so high... Uh, uh, high production. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That I read some reviews talking about how it was too many, like, you know... Uh, glory shots of the spaceship with reflections <laughs> in it and you know what i mean a lot of explosions yeah and, and, and like that's fine and you know i like all that stuff but i'm also like i want people to tell not not i was gonna say the truth but i i, I want people to like give it to them straight you know yeah and you want, you want, you want people to be I, yeah. to be in on wonder without yes. the and bells and whistles Is I, that I, the- I felt yeah. like there was a and and i have a i as much as i like neil degrasse tyson sometimes his presentation to me, well, this gets crossover chamber, so I'm going to back off a little bit, but, uh, sometimes other things I've seen of him, it's like, he's trying too hard to be a presenter and, and not enough of just a person. Mm. And I worried that it would go too far along that line and just be cheesy, but it hasn't been, I I've actually been pleasantly surprised by it. So I'm looking forward to the next so episode. What your what you just described, if we, if we if this is Microsoft Word and we do a find and replace of Cosmos, <laughs> you can put any franchise in there that's been rebooted. Sure. And this is what's interesting to me about Cosmos is they're treating it like a franchise reboot yep. where it's weaving in and out of the source material. Yep. Um, it's adding some new stuff. The special effects are upgraded. And one sets, of the writers. And yeah. one of the writers. Exactly. Um, and it's getting this, it, to me, it's kind of like Star Trek, the original series versus J.J. Abrams Star yeah. Trek. It absolutely is. Right? Is it, And the question is, is it true to the source material? And I think in both Star Trek and Cosmos, that spirit is there, the spirit of the data yep. and all of that. Now, there are massive special effects. Yep. Mm-hmm. The scale of this is enormous and the reach is enormous. <laughs> but what I love is, you know, um, uh, one of my friends, Shanda, she posted on Facebook about how um, it's now their new family ritual to watch Cosmos on Sunday night. And someone else posted about we are all made of star stuff. Yeah, th- this is going back. this is going to be a generational mm-hmm. thing in a way that, you know, as much as Cosmos has been around for the last 35 years, Neil must have known as he was doing this that like this may be may be not guaranteed, of course may be a scientific touchstone for an entire generation yeah. of people. Yeah. And, and that's a huge responsibility to is. have on your shoulders. It is. Yeah. And and not just that, but to be walking in the footsteps of one of your heroes yeah. and not wanting to fail. Can you imagine the amount of pressure that And not that just a he hero, must... but a hero that you oh, yeah. knew. Yes. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's it's like literally your mentor your father figure in many ways. Yeah. And you're like, that's heavy stuff. I mean, yeah. psychologically, that's and he's, heavy stuff. And he's pulling it off. He's he doing is. Well. I actually feel so proud of him yeah. I'm, I am and too. happy for him yeah. because I was a little concerned as well when I had read, and I tried not to read too many initial reviews, but I had just heard comments here and there similar to what Bill yeah. had, although I wasn't anti-watching it. I was actually very excited to watch it. And I really have been 
pleasantly surprised. Well, as and well. there's and there is new science. Um, there's some yep. big new ideas. The ideas of uh, the idea of a multiverse mm-hmm. that was not around with yep. with the original um, the with the original cosmos. Um, the Higgs boson, sure, right, which we haven't gotten to yet in cosmos, but it's coming. It's coming. Um, there's there's science is has been updated, and I think this is. Like every franchise, it needs to be refreshed every few years to stay relevant. You you could argue that this has even a greater reason to be refreshed because there is new information. There's yeah. no new information in Star Trek. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's new yeah. ways of presenting it, but it's no new information. Yeah, and as the last Star Trek movie has shown us, there's right. a lot of, you know what not a lot of new so, information. No. Um, I don't know. But, it's, but I also think that this has the potential to reach even more people because of the way information is consumed now because of the way you could watch this you can go to the cosmos website you can look at all the links about if you want to learn more about this i like you can can go you can stream it you can stream it they should stream it non-commercial yeah but in any case you have all (laughs) these options that we didn't have when this was first aired in the 1980s it is the biggest rollout um on network tv ever it's how are the ratings the ratings have been good and it's it's also on Fox, yeah. it's on National Geographic, yeah. it's streamed online, it's airing all over the world. The original Cosmos had that reach, but not to the level of no. this. And it took and, years and probably it took, to... Oh, yeah, yeah. it was... On it was, Laserdisc? Right. Yeah. And <laughs> and people were watching this years and years after the fact, and it billions got... Billions and billions of bits. So, <laughs> so many scientists can trace their origin now to Cosmos. And it'll be really interesting to see what happens in 20 to 30 years when we have a new generation who said it was Neil deGrasse Tyson on Fox watching Cosmos. That was a moment where I decided I want to be a scientist. Well, it's like all you're writing about Star Trek. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I love to hear and, and he talks about it a lot, but I love Neil deGrasse Tyson's origin story. Oh. Of how he became a scientist and how he became interested in science. And this he shares a bit of his origin story. Conrad, I think you are telling us it's time to venture into the infinite crossover chamber. <laughs> really? I don't Conrad know. Conrad just did it. Ladies and awesome. gentlemen, that is the debut sound effect from Conrad for it the infinite more, crossover. It sounded more like lasers, though. So, sorry. I was thinking that... I, I thought you were going to go, like, space, like, Big Bang, and then it ended up being, like, lasers. But, you know, lasers... It's okay. Lasers are science. You can't have lasers without science, so... But we're in the chamber now. We're in the chamber. The Everyone, um, put on your chamber... Uh, chamber glasses. <laughs> what do we have in the chamber today, folks? Today, in the chamber, we have two very distinguished gentlemen. We have Mr. Carl Sagan and Neil deGrasse Tyson. Mm. What do we... Those even, are big what, shoes to fill. What's our question? I think we have to look at this. Who, who's the better scientific communicator? Uh, that's fair. Yeah. Who's a better okay. scientist? No, 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 no. Because no. no. then we look at papers yep. and we look at, no. yeah. I think the communicator, educator, possibly. Yes. Communicator slash educator. Right. You know, the thing is, is that Carl Sagan was a, he was on the vanguard, like he was one of the first, right? He was a pioneer of this whole popular science thing, right? Mm-hmm. And and so in some he ways predates Mr. Wizard predates Bill Nye. Yeah. Predates. So he was he was this guy who was a scientist, you know what I mean, who was actually doing real work and then said, look, we need to get the average people, the masses 
the plebeian masses to like understand <laughs> this stuff. And I think that I can do it in a way that they will be able to digest. And yeah. so in some ways, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson only exists because of Carl Sagan. Their, their histories are so interwoven. They're That's both true. New Yorkers, mm-hmm. which is awesome. They were uh-huh. both born in New York. They both have a personal connection to the Museum of Natural History they and the Hayden Planetarium. Absolutely. It's both core it's it's core to both origin stories of these individuals. Yeah. And then there's and a, it's a little creepy. It's I think so it's the grass no, just no, stalking no. Carl Sagan. No, I have a theory about <laughs> no, this. No, no, no. I think there's a disruption in a space-time continuum where there's some type of gravitational pull that centers on the Upper West Side at the Hayden Planetarium. Oh, it just happens to be near where you live. It just happens to be a few blocks away from my living. <laughs> I like Shake how you, I like how you worked that in. That you was like that? pretty yeah, sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, can, can we talk about the tone of the two shows though? Because that's one well, thing that the tone of the two shows or the tone, the tone of the two, two men. Per, well, I don't. Okay, the two men the, as as speakers on the show, and this might be just me. When I watch Carl Sagan, it feels like Carl Sagan talking to me as if we're having a one-on-one conversation, and he's whispering his he's he's Sweet confessing things about well, no, science. He's, it's, it's almost <laughs> like he's he's confessing, not confessing, but just sort of like sharing with me a secret in in this very intimate way. And I don't know if it's the tone of his voice or because he was the first one I saw or whatever, whatever. But I feel like Neil deGrasse Tyson is less of a natural communicator than Carl Sagan was. Do you feel like he's being more presenting as he, opposed to teaching? He, well, he he freely admits that he was not good at public speaking and he's had to work on it. And that he's, you know, basically been he's been coached over the years to get better at it because he wants to improve. And I'm all for people improving. But I think that Carl Sagan had a natural way about him that Neil doesn't quite have. I feel like Neil is talking is at the front of a class talking to a lecture hall where Carl felt like he was talking to me and I was the only other person. In the but room. do you think part of that is because you watched this when you were a kid? I, I'm bringing the, I'm just, I'm putting it up. up for Cause I think, cause I actually think that uh, I think that Neil deGrasse Tyson in the context of today's, um, I don't know. Like he is basically a, a scientist rock star. In my opinion, like he goes out, no, he does the, all these. He's, he's the, the emperor of the nerds. Yeah. And I feel. Self-proclaimed? Self-proclaimed. No, probably not self. No. Uh, the title is bestowed upon him. But I think that I think that he wants that role. Maybe. I think he's got it, whether he wants it or not. I he's think got he has it. it. Sorry. I don't. I think they have a different way of presenting. I don't think one is better or worse than the other. But I think that they're very... I think that one does inform the other. I think that, obviously, Neil deGrasse Tyson would very much like to be Carl Sagan. Yes. But they're different people. They're, they're different people that have different styles. And I don't think Neil deGrasse Tyson is imitating Carl Sagan. No, no, I don't think I he's don't, imitating. I he's, know. He's doing I think a he has his thing. own he has his own thing, but I don't necessarily think it's less effective. I don't think it's less effective. You know, I, I, I gotta disagree with you a little bit here, Bill, about what you said about um Neil deGrasse Tyson feeling like a like a professor, a lecture. Right. For me, when I watch um Carl Sagan um and his work, I really feel like I um I'm in probably the best college class i will ever be in and i'm talking i am listening to a genius talking about his work that's what i feel like when i'm listening to neil degrasse tyson i feel like i'm i'm like at a nerd night presentation if yeah right right it's it's, it's polished to the point where it feels a little it's uh 
Go ahead, finish your thought. So, I mean, for those of you who don't know Nerd Night, it's basically about a bunch of nerds who are just kind of giving funny presentations about scientific stuff. And I feel like uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's probably a guy I could sit down with and I could just, like, have a cool conversation. I would be so intimidated to do that with Carl Sagan. But he that has only- that professor- per- professorial type of style. I, I get that, but I... Go ahead, sir. Uh, no, I, I don't... I think that they have their own distinct styles... But I also think that some of what you're seeing with Carl Sagan is partially the time in when this happened. Yeah, I think I maybe. think I think Neil deGrasse Tyson, he is um, social media savvy. Yep. He goes around and, and does different lectures. And he also has to be able to make this accessible to a very wide variety of people. And I think that that has changed the presentation style. And I think if Carl Sagan were around you would have seen a change and a shift yeah. in how he yeah. was presenting. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. sure. Conveying. I guess, I guess it's just this, um, I, I, look, I like both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, you know, when, when I love when, both, of them. when, when yeah. Neil, when Neil gets in his wonders of the, you know what I mean? Like when he, when he gets <laughs> that voice, that, that whole, like, can the you, wondrous ima- yeah, universe. Yeah. Can, can, can you imagine what it was like, you know, like those yeah, kinds yeah. of things? Somehow it doesn't feel quite as believable to me as it did when I, Carl did the same. There, when it was well, the Carl same words spoken by did, different people. Carl re- rarely changed his cadence in that way. You you got yes. a sense that he was always talk. That's just his baseline. Yeah, his mm-hmm. baseline is wondrous and maybe, cosmos. Right, and maybe that's what it is. Is that Neil feels like he turns it on for those Neil for probably, those people. He does. There, there are a few moments where I was just like, hmm. and I'm fine with is that, this, but it is takes this me wonder, out of it. Is you know? this wonder bordering on creepy a couple of times? <laughs> yeah, like, like yeah. I'm not sure that you yeah. need to go that does he need to be alone with the universe right now yeah yeah sometimes you feel like he would like to close the door and be alone with yeah, the universe yeah. but but i think that overall um what well it saddens me a lot that carl sagan is not around to see this uh, um and it, and that we lost him pretty uh, to me lost him too early very early and i would have loved to see what he thought of all of these things okay. I, um, I gotta say a couple of things sure. about this but i also feel like the cosmos the original cosmos is a little bit more i don't want to call it hippie <laughs> but there is hippie. but there is some hippie feelings and and uh, there there's a bit of a just the way the, the general like way to in the world of yes coke. <laughs> yeah there's a there's a little bit of that going on and I don't know I just feel like the Neil deGrasse Tyson stuff in because of the budget and and the big rollout and all of this stuff um, I think that it's making it accessible to to more people all at once. But it's it's beyond. It goes beyond cosmos. Like if we look at uh, for both individuals, if you look at Carl Sagan, I think one of his amazing legacies is like Bill was saying. He sort of uh, created this role. He went on Johnny Carson. He went on the Tonight Show. He went on all these different talking circuits and talked to the public. Not as if they're stupid, but also in a way where he wasn't talking like a scientist using jargon. Yep. True. You know, so there's that. But then he wrote Contact. Yes. It was supposed to be a movie turned into a book, which later got t- turned into a movie. But I love that story. This, yeah. The way it kind of weaves in ideas of faith versus science. Yep. And now as a psychologist looking back, I think it's one of the only realistic ways where we could have first contact with aliens. I won't spoil the ending, but you all know what the ending is. Yep. 
Um, anyone listening to the show? <laughs> anyone listening to the show knows what the ending is. Plus, it features Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. All yeah. right. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Let's, the universe is vast. All right. All right. All right. Um, so he did. I think he did all he capitalized on media in the way it existed in his era and in that context. And then you've got Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's huge on Twitter. He went to Comic-Con, and one of my favorite quotes of his is, If Comic-Con people rule the world, the future would be invented daily, and warfare would be nothing more than bar fights with toy lightsabers. That is a world I want. He gets it. He gets how media is used now. And he's been on Colbert Report more than anyone else and sure. talks in a way in which people get it. They both are doing... Well, they both, Carl Sagan and Neil deGrasse Tyson now, are doing the same exact thing, but in their own context. Okay. And but, I, I think but, your question is, who's doing it more naturally? Okay, yeah. yes. But I, I also think that there is something to be said, as as Bill, I think, was starting out this crossover in that Carl Sagan was a pioneer. Yes. So he was the one who had to figure out how to do all this stuff. Yeah. So I guess the question is, does Neil deGrasse Tyson ever win because Carl Sagan was the pioneer? I think, I think the bigger question is, if Carl Sagan was still alive today and they were rebooting Cosmos, would you want Carl Sagan or would you want Neil deGrasse Tyson to be hosting it? I think that there's room for both. And yeah, I think you would want them both involved. If it was involved. getting rebooted... One of them would be the main speaker. I, I think here's what you would do. If it was, that's a fascinating question, and we could probably spend a whole podcast <laughs> talking about that. I think um, you do it as the Star Trek reboot did. You would have uh, Carl uh, Sagan Spock. on there to hand it over. Exactly. Yep. You would have Spock Prime and the new Spock, and you would have Carl Sagan in that first episode handing it off to, uh, yeah. to Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson. And I think and he that would. would be a nerdgasm yeah. of a moment for everyone. Look, I think he would, and I would he think would. he would happily. When, yeah. when, when, I, when I say that I prefer Carl Sagan, I would prefer Carl Sagan hosting with today's technology and knowledge. Right? It's hard to I, I want, do that, though. Right, well, of course. This is, they're, very, they're intertwined. I'm just saying, in my nerd imagination, yeah. that's the ideal thing. I have no problem. Where I give Carl Sagan a 9.5, I give Neil like a 9 right now. Like he's yeah, doing a really yeah, good yeah. job. Yeah. This is, it's not like, like one's obviously better than the other. I don't know. So I think Bill is voting, you're voting Team Carl Sagan. <gasps> team Sagan. I, I, yeah, I lean, I'm, 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 I'm on the fence and I'm like slowly fall to one side, which would be Sagan. Conrad? I, I have a hard time choosing here, and, and this is for the things that we are laying out. I think they are both very impressive in terms of how they present and how they present to the masses and the ways they choose to do it. But I do I do think I have to slowly lean towards Sagan because of the Pioneer issue and because I would like to see, or I would have liked to see, what he did with the current knowledge and technology. Uh, this, is why I, this is why I love her. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's but it but it is a razor thin race here. Look, I love both, and you wouldn't have you would not have um, Neil deGrasse Tyson without Carl Sagan. He makes it obviously clear in the first episode. There's a butt coming. Um, there is a butt. There's a big butt. <laughs> However, um, you I, like big butts. I like. You big, cannot lie. I, this is absolutely true. Um, I I feel a kinship with Neil deGrasse Tyson. He. At the University of Texas, he had a failed dissertation. You know, people don't know that, and he, yeah. he doesn't like to talk about it. 
Um, I had a failed dissertation. I, I, I do. Great. Bring um, up his failed dissertation, Ollie. <laughs> nice. Thanks. Uh, and, but beyond that, like he talks a lot about Star Trek and how that had an influence in his life. He showed up at Comic-Con Starship Smackdown and had a, um, a beautiful, eloquent speech about the original USS Enterprise. He, um, I feel like he talks about his inner geeky stuff. Yeah. In a very genuine way. He's much more of a science fiction nerd than I think Carl ever would. Carl wouldn't know the specifics of stuff in Star Trek and Star Wars. And that's where I feel the kinship. Not only as a, given his academic history and the struggles he had in grad school, which I can definitely relate to, but also the way he talks about, um, the way he lives and talks about the geek world as it exists now. Um, I'm going to vote. I was going to, I was going to do a draw. You guys, this is, this is in my notes. We put you, you guys <laughs> are going team Sagan. I need to defend Neil deGrasse Tyson. So I vote team Tyson. Okay. You know what? We respect your decision. All right. Let us know what you think, uh, dear listeners and, uh, settle this infinite crossover debate. think it's, uh, time to close the chamber. Yes. All right. Conrad, can you close it for us? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So with That's that, awesome. we're going into our top five science documentaries. I believe um, Team Conman mm-hmm. um, set up a, a joint list. Is that we, correct? We did because you know what? Our lists would probably be identical. Maybe some of the order slightly shifted, but we decided to merge the two together. Okay. And you know, some of when we we were first courting. <laughs> It's Watfin like. Jeez, we could have just been hanging out. Why did you guys? Uh, <laughs> were you guys courting in the 1920s? Yes, yeah. yes. Um, in any case, one of the things that we had, we talked a lot, and, and there were things that we talked about a lot, and and we'll get into this in the list. Are some of the things that end up on this list, um, and we we bonded over some of these things that we watched in our childhood, and and then as adults. So. Um, Wait, are we starting or is Ali starting? Well, let me give Ali, my criteria I'm going to let I'm going to let Ali start. Uh, my, my criteria was similar to you guys. My, I did not involve any courting with any person or thing. <laughs> However, you did not want to be alone with your universe? <laughs> no, what? I, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, it, I, to me, it was about um, learning a lot, but also emotional impact and replay value. Those were kind of the three things I was looking at. Um and I was also looking at emotional impact, not just for me, but like on a large scale, too. That's my number five. My number five is an inconvenient truth. Now, wow. the reason mm. for this, I know it's a, in some ways it's a polarizing film because it, it definitely has a political agenda. Um, and this is, uh, you know, starring Al Gore. Mm-hmm. Whatever. That's <laughs> not a sentence I usually start to um, start with, but... Um, it's a documentary about uh, climate change, and um, it does an interesting job of weaving together um, Al Gore's story and his family's story with what's happening um, with the planet. And I think it, it, the reason I put it here is there's a strong emotional impact. It had a huge mass um, effect on culture. And it created that conversation of climate change I True. Think, at a yep. level that it, it didn't exist beforehand. And who knew that Al Gore could talk passionately about stuff? Yeah. You know? So had he only done that during the debates? <laughs> I know. I know. But you know, that's we'll take another us. story. That's my number five. That's a good one. Uh, the number five that we talked about was the wonders of the universe mm. uh, with Brian Cox. Mm. You ever um, see that one? Um, 
I, the name sounds familiar. He's a but, um, British I, physicist. Uh, uh, he's uh, he's young too. He's like forty six years old, and he was he was in a rock band in, the, in his twenties, and they like hit records in in the UK. He used to tour around and whatever. And then, then he went to school. He was a keyboard player in this band called Dare. Yeah, and then he went and and joined uh, went to the University of Manchester, and he has this show. And called Wonders of the Universe, and also he was heavily influenced by Carl Sagan. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. definitely and, and along the same lines. Names him and talks about him quite a bit, just about how he was inspired to become a scientist. And it's a four-part hour-long, four-hour-long episodes. I when think did they it are. come out? I or they might be two-hour-long episodes. They're, they're long. Yeah, they're pretty long. Um, uh, two thousand eight. Oh, okay, so pretty recent. Yeah, I think something it, like that. It was it was fairly recent. Um, yeah, you should you should go you should watch that. Yeah, it sounds right up my he's, alley. He's sorry, he's, it was twenty ten. Okay, That's... he 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 whispers. See, you know, he's like, "Can you imagine the world?" Like he has this whole little way about him, <laughs> and he gets close to the camera, and he's very intimate and very quiet. But sometimes he has you know moments where he's watching turtles mating where I feel like he should leave the poor turtles alone and it's yeah. a little bit you know so yeah. he does have a few of those moments but he's got great hair but I think that I think that he's a very he does a very good job at presenting uh, the the documentary is fascinating it's, it's and it has a very, it, it has that British feel Oh, which I is love very the different feel. than the American. Yes, feel. the British, the British feel combined with documentaries equals magic. So, uh, yeah, well, that will come up again and again. It's going to come again so, in mine too. Okay, so yeah. anyway, number five is Wonders of the Universe, uh, and Brian and Cox. Brian Cox gets a, a big shout out. Just, yeah. I mean, he does. He also does. I mean, he's a big There's, fan of science fiction. Yeah. He was the scientific advisor on Sunshine, the mm. movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a whole Doctor Science of Doctor Who documentary Why? related to the 50th anniversary, which was a little. <gasps> I saw yeah. that. Yeah, I know. That. I know this. I know this uh, individual. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So yeah. anyway, he's great. he's great. I think he's one of those people. When I think of the Neil deGrasse Tyson Cosmos things, yeah. this was something that popped up. And I've I've watched this a couple of times. Like I think it's worth watching, and you can watch it again. I think a, a lot of people across many different levels of of you know it's of- it's much more and it's 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 funny because wonders of the universe is much more like sort of slow and drawn out and very like there's there's lots of like if you watch it late at night you may fall asleep as much as you enjoy it yeah. it's like it hypnotic may, it may be a little hypnotic but anyway a little 2001 space odyssey yeah. a little yes. bit. so wait how do you guys do this you well, do like then we do our number four or how do we, we do go this? it's wibbly wobbly it's wibbly wobbly okay. we switch yeah. and then sometimes conrad just decides that she's going to have six number fives because she, <laughs> like last week like she had two number two i had two number twos on my list Would and i was trying today? to no but okay. i was trying to decide all between right. them and I didn't remove one from the list and then I got all excited about it. All right, so we got very anyway, confused writing those shows. It show was notes. very very confusing for Ollie and then I had to own up to the fact that oopsies. Alright, are we are we gonna let anyway. Ollie do the next one or are we gonna go to the next one? Uh Ollie, you can do your next one. Alright, my my number four is a brief history of time. Ah, uh, classic. Is that on your guys' list? No. It is not. Okay. So it's um a documentary based on uh Stephen Hawking's work. And like an inconvenient truth, it tells a story of Stephen Hawking while also telling the story of the universe and the work that Stephen Hawking sure. has done. Um, it came out in 1991, and it it had that huge impact on me that Cosmos also did. It it pulled me in, and it, I have very vivid memories of watching this with my brother and us kind of staying up, kind of talking about the ramifications sure. of, of this documentary. And, and, and brief history of time. I mean, talking about time and relativity and black holes. And yeah, I mean, that is that gets into almost almost 
philosophical discussions. Absolutely. Because there's like so much unprovable. It's just like, oh, there's this stuff beyond the event horizon and we have no idea what happens. I think that's why it stuck with me so much is it it talks to that point of um, the intersection between science and science fiction and wonder and imagination, which Cosmos hints at like Mm -hmm. the wonder of the universe. However, a brief history of time sort of gets at the really the relativistic stuff that is really out there. Um, So that's my number four. Okay. Our number four is not technically a documentary. Hmm. Tell me more. It is bending it a little bit, but part of why, and and we debated about putting this on the list. As long as it's not Doctor Who and every companion. It isn't Doctor Who. (laughs) (laughs) Citizen Kane, Ollie. Citizen (laughs) Kane. Just saying. Um, It is the... um, HBO miniseries that was put out in 1998 from the earth to the moon. And this was the series put out by Ron Howard, Brian Grazer, Tom Hanks, um, and Michael Bostick. And I'll it's give you that. That's a great pick. And the reason why yeah. it's I, on the edge, uh, it, the reason why I argued to put this on there is that I think that the Apollo expeditions were just, um, it's, it's a docudrama, but they, I think that they are fascinating and how we got there is fascinating. Yeah. And I think that this miniseries did a, a very good job at presenting this and, the, and presenting the challenges and how terrifying it must have been for people yeah. to go up there. That was but, exploration in, in, in the way that hadn't been done in hundreds of years since before, you know, I mean, these people were out in the middle of nothing, you know, yeah. and they also have a nice little uh, reenactment of uh the uh, uh, George Meillet's film, and Doesn't I just, always yes. bring that up, which you bring yes. up a lot, and so it made me just think about that, and it sort of it, it gave. See, you're gonna go want to go watch no, it I've again. No, I've seen now. that scene. Yeah, in with, my research for George Meillet's is a trip to the moon. Yeah. I remember watching that it's, scene. It's, it's a great reenactment. Twelfth episode, right? Yeah. So, in any case, I just think that this did a great job, and I I would imagine, and I would hope, because what I did after watching this was. Reminding myself and looking up all sorts of things about yeah. the Apollo expeditions that I had forgotten or didn't know about, and and it referenced a lot of things within the this miniseries that I was just fascinated by, and I think that it did that for a lot of people. Can, can, can I give a little personal anecdote about this one? Why? Because you love Apollo so much. No, the, uh, the, Bill the, really loves Apollo. I, I do, but from the Earth to the Moon is based on uh, Andrew Chaikin's book, A Man in the Moon. Huh. And uh, he actually plays a cameo in the in the miniseries. There's a, in the first episode. There's a, uh, a scene where they're on like a game show and a black and white game show, and he plays the host on the game show. And I remember, I remember like reading this somewhere. And I went to a audio engineering society conference at the Javits Center one day. You went to an audio <laughs> engineering conference. I love, I love well, the nerdiness. Is, yeah, and uh, <laughs> and I'm standing in line getting my badge, and I hear this voice like three booths down, and I'm like, God, I know that voice. How do I know that voice? And I'm like, oh, it's Andrew Chaikin, right? So I go look, and it had an Andrew Chaikin badge on him. And I stopped him, and I was like, excuse me. I was like, you're Andrew Chaikin, right? He's like, yeah, yeah. And I said, I just want to let you know that I, I loved your book, whatever it is. And I said, and we talked for a minute. I shook his hand, and I said, oh, I'll let you go. You know, you, you know, you probably – he's like, actually, no one's ever stopped me. <laughs> oh. And, and he was like – he was really sweet, and we emailed a few times. But anyway, it's just, it's just interesting. The, the, I love that wow. story. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's sad, but I love it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's like, no one ever stops me. Oh. So, anyway, uh, I just wanted to say that I'm – that was one of my – I love that. Anyway, go ahead. Number nice three. fanboy moment mm-hmm. slash moment a, of gratitude. That yeah. was That's, a good yeah. – He was there because his brother was working for J, uh, JBL speakers or something like that. 
And so okay, that's, that's why that's, that's less, why he was there. That's less cool and interesting. Yeah, go ahead. That's cool. <laughs> number three. <laughs> number three. Um, number three is a. Um, it's an emotional one for me because of how close it hits to home for the work I do. It's uh, this emotional life. No pun intended. Um, 2010's uh, documentary series hosted by uh, psychologist Daniel Gilbert. Um, it aired on PBS. There's three episodes, and I, I think, think I ever saw that. It's it's good. It's good. Uh, three episodes. I think the episodes are long. They're like two hours and something minutes. Um, but it kind of summarizes uh, the basic our, our basic understanding of psychology now, and a lot of psychology um, documentaries go into like history a lot and historical understandings of emotions of thoughts of behavior but uh this one does a great job looking at things with with the most recent research and the other thing is daniel gilbert he's sort of like the neil degrasse tyson carl sagan of, of psychology, psychology. <laughs> yet he does such a nice job communicating very eloquently using everyday language about very complex ideas. And he's quite funny. I also, just to nerd out a little bit, um, I love his scientific papers because he like just throws in little jokes and wordplay. Um, You've actually read the man's papers? I, I have read a ton of his papers because I love <laughs> how he writes. I just, I eat up his uh, peer-reviewed journal articles. Um, funny aside as well, Nguyen, my partner's, English professor from college used to like babysit um, Dan Gilbert and talked about how he was kind of like a distracted kid, didn't write well when he was a kid and all of this. So I think it's interesting how some of our best communicators um, might not come from like these perfect upbringings where they, you know, they were perfect students and all of that. But if you haven't checked out This Emotional Life, it's my favorite psychology documentary. I am going to check it out. We're going to add that to the list. Uh, so our number three is the elegant universe, and mm. it yep. is based on it is a um, a three part program that was on PBS in two thousand three, but it's based on the book um, from nineteen ninety nine by, by Professor Brian Greene, and a nice guy. He and Bill got to to he was on Bill's wish list for portraits, so Bill got to meet him, which and he apparently is super nice. He was super nice, and Did he you get makes. To- Take his photograph? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, it, for my 365 Portraits Project, it's funny. I, I emailed him at the beginning of the year, and he's like, oh, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. And then... And you're like, I got a year, so... And then it was like, <laughs> it was December, late uh, G- late November, and I wrote him, like, well, I was like, look, I've got, you know, three weeks left, like, any chance, whatever it is. And he's like, how about 11 o'clock tomorrow morning? Wow. And I was like, okay, I'm there. And wow. went to his office, hung out for half an hour. Anyway, go finish your thing. Um, no, but this was one of those um, documentaries or programs that blew my mind. Mm. Um, and I had read parts of the book, but it's a very it's a very dense book in terms of the yeah, string theory that gets that um, gets trippy. And it's um, it, it, but it is a fascinating program yeah. if you want to learn about string theory. I definitely recommend it. Um, and I also like the fact that a choreographer interpreted. The elegant universe <laughs> and <laughs> in a dance festival in New York, which uh, is is really kind talk, of amazing. Talk about dancing about architecture, you know. Yeah, um, you, you know what's interesting too about the elegant universe too. That Brian Greene is is himself a string theorist and a scientist and mathematician, but that other and he's a, a pretty good communicator and obviously has worked at it and 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 go in that direction. But there are people in the documentary like Ed Whitten, Ed Whitten, oh yeah, who is like, you know, the 
uh, string theory mathematician, the guy who like other string theory mathematicians look at and go, yeah, that guy's a freak. You know what I mean? Like, he's, you know, he's amazing. He's a genius. And they have some B roll of him and they have him talking a little bit. And he's obviously like immensely awkward, Mm. you know, in person, you know, scientists are right. But it just, you know, not all of the people we keep, we're bringing up all these presenters and all these people are so great about talking about Uh, what they're, what they talk about. Yeah. Yeah. It's not always true. You know, we need the people who are good at it. Well, that's right. Um, so, so that was our, our number three, number three. Cool. Number two. Number two. Um, this one's related to one of your guys' picks. Uh, when we left Earth, the NASA mission. Classic, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, <laughs> it, if you don't know much about the space race and um, just about the history of NASA, this is. Yep. I think this is a good go-to place. It's good. It's it's a little. It's got a little bit of the. You know, like the the the, the ocean the, waves. The, the, what is the, that? The symbol swell stuff that they oh, do yeah. in in the doc, yeah. in some of those documentaries. Build up the drama. Yeah, yeah. which which I'm, I'm a sucker like, you know, for that. It's unnecessary. It's to me, it's unnecessary. Dramatic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you um, you like your science raw. You like your. I data do. There's raw. this there's a great scene in that documentary where they're talking to Crippen and John Young mm-hmm. about their first you know the first uh, space shuttle launch and, and and Crippen's just like yeah you know I was nervous I you know I, I, I my, my thing was like at like 180 beats per minute whatever it is and I, I think John was like a cool 75 or something like that and they go to John Young he's like I didn't know I was supposed to be nervous was that was I supposed to be nervous you know <laughs> and, he's so, and he's so deadpan yeah, he's, he's so like, fantastic yeah, he's, he's just like I, I didn't know was that were we supposed to worry about it blowing up like you know like he's he's such a like old school astronaut I mean he walked yeah. on the moon Apollo 15 yeah. like that guy was like classic you know yeah uh, anyway, it's just funny. I it's totally good, agree with that. Yeah, one. yeah. I mean, there's nothing more to say about it. But yeah. it, each episode chronicles a phase of yeah. NASA, whether it's uh, the Mercury missions, whether it's Apollo, space shuttle, um, and now the International Space Station, which is the last episode. Yep. Um, it, it's it's your basic go-to history of NASA. Yeah. If you if you want to suck a whole lot of stuff in like a sponge, it's a good place to go. Yep. Um, our number two documentary was something that we recently got introduced to. We discovered a year, year and a half ago. Yes, mm. we- <laughs> this is. Like, we were we were on vacation near Niagara Falls, and there was not a lot of you know. It was late at night. There wasn't a ton to watch because it's Canadian television. Oh, you just like <laughs> pissed off a whole lot of Canadian people. No, I'm just. <laughs> Don't mean, worry. They'll get pissed I, I, off. They'll get over they're it. They're very nice people. <laughs> they're very nice. No, there just wasn't a lot on because it was late at night and their programming is not yeah. the same as the U.S. Um, but in any case, we happened across this documentary that we then became obsessed with and stayed up very late into the night watching. We did. I'm on the edge of my seat. It what is, is this? It is called um, How to Grow a Planet, and it's a series put what? out by the BBC in, in 2012, and the presenter is Ian Stewart. A Scotsman, isn't he? I think he's a Scotsman. Um, but in any case, he talks about <laughs> the how our, uh, how our planet has, the changes on Earth have been driven by plants. It is fascinating. Hmm. And talks about how flowers were like invented, you know, only like a few, like a few million years ago, like flowering plants is like a fairly new thing in the history of the earth and Hmm. all this kind of stuff. And he talks about, there's this one section where he's talking about this one flower that has this spun up set of pollen, like in the middle. And it can only be released if you go near it with a certain frequency range. Like it needs to be like buzzed apart. And And there's there's only one bee that does this. When it goes near it, changes its wing speed so that it makes the thing explode pollen all over. Wow. And they it show it, and they show that in the documentary. It's also beautiful. It's super um, gorgeously shot. Yeah. 
Um, Lots of high speed footage of oh, stuff. I'm a sucker for that high speed oh, camera. It's, again, so. even though we did stay up late watching this, I could imagine people falling asleep if they're too it's tired. Totally hypnotic. It's hypnotic. Yeah. Um, but it's I highly recommend it. In fact, now I want to watch it again. Oh, yeah, cool. We should we should watch How to it grow together. a planet. Yeah. Cool. Oh wait, are we gonna turn movie nights into sci-fi documentary nights? There might be a very small group that would like to do this. (laughs) One named Derek, friend of the show. A friend of the show who I just was talking to before this, who's like, How are you gonna debate Neil deGrasse Tyson and Carl Sagan? I don't know. Well he's gonna find out. Stay tuned, my friend. What's your number one? Um my number one pick is a documentary series coming from BBC. Hmm. Um and for my number one, I you know, Cosmos, both old and new, are not eligible for our top five. And I wanted something that really got to that huge, massive impact and something that might have had the same impact that uh, Cosmos did in terms of influencing people to go into science. And while something like An Inconvenient Truth was released on a mass scale, I don't think it really, like... No one saw that and got like, oh, my God, I want to study climate change. You know, maybe some people. But I wanted something that had that mass impact, had that personal impact, um, and was just beautifully done. And for me, that's planet Earth. Um, Yep. That series was so beautiful, um, so well narrated by David uh, Attenborough. Um, And then the American version they had Scorny Weaver. Was it Scorny uh, Weaver? Yeah. It was yeah, somewhat, could be. They replaced the narrator, but yeah. you, the version you want is the BBC version with David Ad- Attenborough. Um, each episode looks at a different sort of part of the earth. And um, it, there's a lot of that high speed footage too yep. with the, uh, the uh, ocean episode where you see um, the great white sharks sort of leap out. As yeah. if they're sort of like flying. It's also a really good uh, a good thing to watch on an HD TV to oh, impress people. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it almost feels like an HD TV demo sometimes. Oh yeah, me. yeah, it's mesmerizing. There's the episode about the the parasites that invade the insects and and um, what happens to them, and it's just um, it looks like science fiction yeah. at times, and it has that macro perspective on the planet and the micro perspective on the planet, and it's a movie that it's also very visual. So um, I, I was watching it, actually, in an instance where I had some people around me who didn't speak English, and they are they're watching it, and they were just absorbed into it as well, um, yeah. just visually. Well, yeah, just, you almost don't even need the, it's, the narration. It's fascinating yeah. without the narration. Yeah, so that's my number one pick. It's something that I've gone to again and again and again and rewatched just because it's uh, it's gorgeous, it's beautiful. It's it inspires all. Was, was that on our uh, list? Uh, Blue Planet, which was... oh. Yeah. Which was well, it's in the same family. In the same family, that was one of the, our honorable mentions, yeah. or my honorable mention. Yeah. Yeah. But well, what's your number one? So our number one, th- this it's the best I, thing ever made. It is pretty amazing. It's Star Trek: The Original Series. Yeah, <laughs> yeah nice try. <laughs> no, um, so where I grew up, and apparently where Bill grew up. We would get, and this is also how I watch Doctor Who and some other things, you would get a lot of BBC programming um, or British programming on PBS. Mm -hmm. And one of those shows was a show called Connections with James Burke. And this is, it was a television series as well as a book. Um, The book came out in 1978. Um, Yes, that was before Cosmos. Mm. Yeah, I just want to put that out there. Yeah. Hmm. Um, (laughs) And it was the thing about it was that it was um, James Burke has this great way of presenting things and he's got a bit of a snarky 
British sense of humor, and it's it was one of those things where I remember watching him being like, "What is this? I don't know if I like this." Who wait, is this guy? <laughs> wait, I kind of like this, and I can't stop watching him. Yeah, and mm. plus he's got these really awesome suits. I don't yeah. know, like, and he does. Yeah, the, the, you know. the show is all about how uh, everything that happens in the world is connected to other things. So you wrote a book about psychology that some guy read and decided to invent this new engineering thing, which led to this other person designing this way to squash grapes, which led to this war in such and such place, which led to this country changing their language from this to this, which led to, and he goes from the plow to the space shuttle. Like, wow. It, yeah. Now, not not like throughout 10 episodes, but yeah. like each episode is like from one place to the other place and shows how everything that happens in society is interconnected. And he goes around the world on location, all these places. And it, well, like he Heather also, was saying, he's very snarky. Like, he's makes snarky, lots but of jokes. he also had access to a lot of the the shuttle yeah. because yep. he, he was the he, he was the BBC uh, uh, reporter for the for the Apollo missions. Wow. So like he was the correspondent. So so there's like so and he's just really endearing and yeah. to watch them and you know this is another I feel like this is like your day of fanboy stories because oh, this is God. the this ultimate is, fanboy. This story. is like this is the one. This is my desert island TV show. Huh. Uh, and yep. he did he they did connections two connections three. There's sequels. Uh, yes. Yep. The day the earth. Are they good? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was it was the other one, the day the Earth changed, or the day I have that other book too. There's a whole other series, yeah. So there are like 40 hours worth of this guy talking about this stuff, and I find them all fascinating. But I've watched them a number of times, sort of just over the years. Mm-hmm. They were on TLC for a while too, mm-hmm. uh, recently. When um, TLC was about learning, yeah. yeah. And uh, anyway, so yeah, and, and I he was you know one of my heroes, this guy from my childhood. And when I was doing my 365 Portraits project, he. Uh, was in he lives in England of course and uh, and I was I was over there a lot uh, visiting a friend of mine and I I wrote him you know AOL email account by the way and uh, <laughs> and uh, and he said sure and I I took a train out to where he was and I got off the train and we were supposed to meet well, under this in that bridge email, did you say like how much the show meant to you? oh yeah oh yeah okay. I was just like I'm a huge fan yeah, you know yeah, I'd love yeah. to meet you I'd love to take your picture and uh, we and I, I remember coming down the stairs and it was the only person I think I've ever shot where I was actually shaking because you were so nervous. Wow. I was so nervous to meet him. Wow. And 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 then I was like, I don't know where he is. And Andrea, who was with me, said, oh, there he is over there. And James Burke was like 30 feet away from us. And we went over and introduced ourselves. We took his picture. We t- hung out for a while. And he's like, you know, I was asking him all these questions about Apollo and the different astronauts. And he's like, oh, I, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to keep me talking so that, like, I look more animated. And I was like, no, James, I just want to talk to you, like, all the time. No, you realize I'm being a fanboy right <laughs> yes, now. Yeah. I'm yes. geeky guy. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, Bill uh, Wadman, stalker, yeah. scientist. And my favorite thing was Andrea, we were walking down the street, and Andrea, like, had her arm in his arm, just, like, you know, being very British. And she said, oh, James, you're a national treasure. And he said, oh, please don't say that. It sounds like I'm dead. <laughs> There's so, also this is also a man that has like songs dedicated yeah, to them yeah. to uh, him. Can, can, He's and we're gonna we'll put a picture of put, me and James Burke these, in the show notes. We need these pictures in the oh, show yeah, notes. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, connections. If you haven't seen it, is like wow. I, and it's know, still fun to watch. It is fun to watch. It is and, super fun. And, to watch. and his snarky sense of humor is yeah. even more hilarious yeah. now, the, as is his wardrobe. You know, the, the, <laughs> the the first episode, just ten seconds is like him talking about how there was in 1968, I think it was, there was a a power failure in New York city because of a tripped breaker, like up at Niagara falls. 
and it caused like the power to go out for, you know, 15 hours or whatever it is. And he talks about like, okay, everyone assumed it would come back on and it came back on. He goes, but what if it didn't come back on and what would you do? Where would you go? Would you leave city? How would you get there in a car using what gas? There's pumps. The pumps use electricity. Like, oh, even if you got to the city out of the city and you got to a farm, like what if there were other people there? What would you do? Would you try you know, and he's like, would you even know how to farm? If you went into the thing, would you know how to work a plow? Do you know how to get oxen? In, you know what I mean? Like makes me think of walking dead. It is yeah. a little bit. Honestly, this Just is sort the of first the first episode. And that gets him down to the plow. He's like, that's where everything started. That's where civilization started. We're going to start from there. It's fascinating. And it's I, I need fun. To check it's a this fun out. watch. So anyway, that's I, I will stop geeking out now. Look at how excited you are. You're the best. I love it. God, this I is this is why this is why I wanted you on the show, though. All right. Um, I love connections. Good. Too. Good pick. Good pick. Um, do we, you guys have any honorable mentions? Um, it was Blue Planet was the honorable mention, but yeah. I didn't want to go too far over because I figured we would go over anyway, which yeah. we have. Which we have. <laughs> I have one. I have one pick, which is Star Trek: Secrets of the Universe. Uh, it came out last year on the History Channel. For anyone who doesn't, who is a fan or is a new fan of Star Trek, but doesn't know the science behind it or the limitations of the science behind it. It's a really great one hour look at um, what would it take to make transporters a reality? How, how can we achieve warp speed? How can we not? What are the limitations on that? All that kind of stuff. And it brings in JJ Abrams story about what inspired him and what he brings to Star Trek and how Star Trek's affected him. It's always shown over and over on history channel. So we will have to check it out. It's good. And that I think is our super fantastic nerd cosmos hour, nerd hour and a half <laughs> nerd hour and a half episode. Um, we'd love to hear what's your top five science documentaries um, and who you think would win in a uh, in a derivation of calculus, uh, <laughs> Carl Sagan or Neil deGrasse Tyson. Um, Bill, thanks for being on the episode. Where can our listeners find more of your work on the internet? Well, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, you could find me at BillWadman.com. And if you're into photography, check out On Taking Pictures, my podcast on the 5x5 network. And on tw- are you on the I'm Twitter? I'm on Twitter uh, at Bill Wadman cool. as well. Conrad, where can people find you? I'm at Die Prince on Twitter. I also have a second podcast about the undead and dead things <laughs> called Reanimated. <laughs> and that is Reanimated PCAST. Um, on, on Twitter, Twitter. Um, but yes, so so that is, that is where you can find me, and where can we find you, Ali? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Ali Matu. I'm also the science fiction psychologist at BrainKnowsBetter.com. You can find the show at Nerd Hour on Twitter, and we're also at SuperFantasticNerdHour.com. With that, live long and prosper. Indeed.